House of Legends is brought to you by my Patreon supporters. To support House of Legends, go to patreon.com forward slash House of Legends or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to the House of Legends, where you can hear world myths and legends told by a professional storyteller. I'm your host, Daniel Allison, and this is episode 37, The Land in the Sky, with Mara Menzies. We have a real treat today. We have Mara Menzies, who's an absolutely fabulous storyteller, one of my favorites. She's Scots-Kenyan, and we're very lucky to have a story from her show, Blood and Gold. Okay, so we're here with Mara Menzies. Good morning, Mara. Good morning, Daniel. And um, tell us where you are, first of all. I am sitting in my kitchen in Edinburgh, and it's a lovely, cold, grey, wet day. <laughs> so Sounds wonderful. Story. And did you grow up in cold, rainy, wet Edinburgh? No, I grew up um, on the white, sandy beaches of Kenya, right by the Indian Ocean, and then came to Edinburgh when I was about 13 and moved to a flat in Morningside. So a bit different. Wow. What what memories stand out of that experience, that change? Um, so many memories. I think when, when you grow up in a, in a country like Kenya that has got such a strong historical connection with the UK, you grow up with a lot of um, stories and maybe expectations of what of what it might be like. And because we grew up in quite a remote, quite a rural part of Kenya, so there were it wasn't in a city. It was in a, it, it was very underdeveloped at the time. Uh, so when we moved to Scotland, suddenly things like Cameron Toll were so yeah. impressive and Cameron Toll is just a great, not particularly attractive glass building. Um, so for me, I thought, oh my gosh, because I'd never seen a glass building before. Um, things like parking meters, we didn't yeah. we still don't have parking meters in Diani. Um, so little things like that really affected me. And and then also we had TV in the house for the first time and we'd never, my parents had never um, accepted introducing a television to us so we would uh, when we were kids we would go and visit the local hotel and have tv for an hour on a wednesday evening so that was my tv as a child so suddenly we had home and away and neighbors wow the dream yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's a bit different (laughs) did i tell you i've been to diani no yeah i have when were you there um, this was um, in my gap year um, after I left school. Um, I was in Uganda mostly, but spent a month in Kenya and um, the group of other kind of gap year kids and me, we went down to Mombasa and then to Diani and stayed in a house by the beach there. I remember going to the Diani Colobus Trust where they rescued monkeys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness, I was there at the Colobus Trust in May this year. Really? Um, yeah, we, yeah. There's a project um, that I'm that I've set up at Diani, about 30 minutes inland, and I'm actually working with Luciana, who runs the Colobus Trust. Um, wow. So we can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I still remember like meeting the monkeys there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, how, what? Why was a why was a Kenyan girl moving to Scotland? 
Um, so, yeah, well, my, my father is Scottish and they, my parents met in Edinburgh in the 60s. Um, and then there was, there's been a lot of toing and froing. Um, and I have, I suppose to cut a, a long story short, I have an older sister who has learning difficulties, um, but they're quite mild. You probably wouldn't notice if you, if you just met her until you'd started a conversation. Um, and I guess for somebody like her, the education system in Kenya at the time wasn't particularly suited to her. So uh, the guest they did, the, my parents came to the decision that perhaps Scotland might be able to offer um, an education that was midway between mainstream and people who had more, more, more needs, greater needs than she had. So that was the main reason for coming. And it was supposed to be for, for two years. And here we are, we're still here. Yeah. Yeah. A wee while later. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was your dad doing in Kenya? So he was a laboratory technician, a parasitologist, so was uh, very interested in studying all the the juicy parasites that existed in people's guts and <laughs> nice. blood. And so, he, yes, I grew up with uh, my eye down a microscope an awful lot of the time. Yeah. So quite interested in biology. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, so then um, so then you're, you're in Edinburgh, you're in Morningside, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, how, when did you when did you get interested in storytelling? Um, I was always interested in storytelling because I think one of the benefits of not having a television growing up is that I did grow up with a lot of stories around me, um, but I didn't realize it was storytelling. And and even if it was uh, people coming over to the house because we constantly had visitors, we constantly had dinners, so there were always stories being told. And my grandmother and my mother were fantastic storytellers. Um, and it just sort of went when we came to Edinburgh because suddenly uh, life, you know, you're entering your teens and there's just so many other things happening. Um, and it was when I was much older and I, I was expecting my first baby with my partner. And um, yeah, I just really wanted this child to embrace the African heritage, because I figured we were in Scotland, the Scottish heritage would be very strong. Um, but I've always had a very close connection to Africa and kept that heritage and visited. I visit every year. So I just wanted this child to um, to understand or have, have those roots. And so I thought stories were the best way to do it. And so I was looking for books and I couldn't find any books that had the same stories that I grew up on and so I thought well I know all these stories so I'm going to write a book and I did write a book and I set up a publishing company and I found an illustrator and I printed a thousand copies and my friends and family all bought a copy and I still had 900 and something left so I needed to sell these books and one way of doing that was to just hire community centers and I would invite people to come and hear the story in the hope that they would buy the book but obviously it was a book for tiny children so you saw how their faces lit up and how they responded to the stories and I think just that just drove me and you thought yes well they really like when I do this or when I say this and so the storytelling really started and then I would introduce other stories into the session um, and then one of my first uh, storytellers that I met in Edinburgh was Ruth Kirkpatrick and um, it were, I think it was through her that I ended up at the storytelling center and suddenly I realized that storytelling was a thing and yeah. I'd never I'd never realized before so that was my my entrance into into storytelling and and I'm still here yeah yeah 
So when you were a child in Kenya, storytelling wasn't a, a thing. It was just just part of the furniture, just part of life. People told stories yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a very normal way of being. It was part of life. Um, and I think it's one of those things when it disappeared, I didn't actually realize it had gone until until much later when I thought, actually, wait a minute, you know, I have all these stories and, and sort of bringing, you know, it really, once you start thinking about the stories again, and suddenly they, they flood back. And, and sometimes it's not always a story that you remember. It was my mother would sing songs and suddenly the song, I'd be like, oh yes, I remember you singing me this song. And I might not necessarily remember the story that was attached to it. Um, but yeah, we'd be singing along and often it wasn't even in Swahili. It was Luya, which is her sort of tribal language. And I don't speak Luya, I speak Swahili, but I would, I would sing these Luya words and mix up <laughs> a whole other language. And, and yeah, so wonderful, wonderful. But so yeah, it was, um, that was, yeah, my, my storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so you speak Swahili. Do do you find the stories come out differently, or are are they different things when you tell them in that different language? Absolutely. I think when I think even when you just speak in another language, then the way it it's spoken and the way it sounds is going to be different. So certainly, when I find myself with other Kenyan people, the, even when I speak English, my accent changes to a more Kenyan accent of speaking English, but Swahili in its nature is a very expressive language. So there's plenty of sounds that don't mean anything, but mean everything at the same time. So there's plenty of, ah, and the kissing (laughs) the teeth and, um, and a lot of the way the words are used is it's, it's very descriptive, you know, and the wind went whee and the wind went wah. So when you're telling a story in Swahili, you make more use of the sounds um, sounds of nature, the sounds of the bird, which when I use the sound of the bird, when I'm telling stories, even in English, you know, they're, the, everyone is, they love the sound of the bird and it's, I'll, I'll try and do it now. It's, um, yeah, go on. so that's, that's my bird Very sound. Very good. Yeah. I've not heard that before. <laughs> You'll get a chance. I'm, I'm, I love it so much. I'm trying to put it in every story now. Okay. <laughs> Um, so yes, certainly when uh, when I tell in Swahili, um, it's uh, it's a very different way of telling. Um, and I think because I don't speak Swahili as often as I speak English, then sometimes I forget some of the words. Um, but storytelling is just such a wonderful profession because people really want you to succeed, so they help you. So if you forget something, you just throw it out to the audience, and the audience will will bring it back um give and tell you what they want to hear so it's okay it's great for that yeah I don't know if I've ever actually forgotten what happens when telling a story I've definitely a few times realized that I've forgotten something and that I have to like keep talking while in my head trying to figure out how I can sort of slot it in or change things so that I can cover my cover my tracks um but I don't mm-hmm. know if I've just ever just been like oh god I, I, I don't remember the rest of this has that happened to you Yes, <laughs> happened. Um, and you'll, I, I find a way to throw it back in. I think one of the, the best ways is just for people to not realize that the storyteller has got it wrong. And you're like, you know, I did. For, I, I very rarely say, oh, I forgot to say, because then that tells them that, oh, 
she's yeah. forgotten something, but I will bring it in in a, in a different way. Um, and she had heard a long time ago that yeah. the witch had said this. And so try and find a different way to bring it in. Um, I think the the worst experience that I had, it wasn't the worst, just a very a difficult one was I went to Cuba for the um, the storytelling festival in Havana. And I don't speak Spanish, but I was determined to tell a story in Spanish. So I, I did the Google Translate um, and then I had a, a Cuban, a wonderful Cuban translator, um, and she went through it with me and just made it right for the Latin American Spanish, for the Cuban Spanish. And then I practiced and practiced and wow. memorized. I never memorize a story, but I had to memorize this one because yeah. I didn't speak the language. And then I told it and it was a five minute story, so it wasn't long. Um, and then I forgot one word. And because I didn't have the language to reach in and, and fix it or take it in another direction, I needed to remember this word. And of course, the audience now have, have realized that, oh, Mara has forgotten. So they're <laughs> they're trying to help and they're throwing all these words at me, but none of them were the words that I was familiar with. And it was one of those things that the problem with memorizing is that if you forget a bit, then it it's very difficult to um, follow the flow or just kind of take it in another rhythm so I needed that one word and finally I remembered it so the story was able to continue but yes no I I love that we don't have to memorize our yeah, story it's great <laughs> um, and because of that if we do forget a little piece then it's okay because we can find ways to bring it back in some mm. way yeah I was telling I hats off to you for trying to tell a story in Spanish uh, I was telling a story to some little kids in Thailand young children and it was about a swan and I'd picked up I think they'd been talking about okay, I'd picked up what I thought I'd picked up the Thai word for swan so I said that and of course Thai is this kind of tonal language where you say something like a little bit um, differently and it's something else so the kids were looking a bit confused when I threw in the Thai word thinking I was being awfully clever then afterwards I found instead of saying swan I'd been saying murder Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't be trying that again. <laughs> I, I was speaking to um, Robert Seven Crows, uh, the Canadian, the Quebecois storyteller, when we were at the Orkney Storytelling Festival earlier this year. And he was saying that, you know, even just the accents of speaking in French, he was telling a story in France at a festival and um, the story was about the wind. And in French, it's, you know, le vent. But in Quebec, it's vin. And in France, so he was telling the story about the vin, the vin. And the kids just clearly heard wine, du vin. Right. <laughs> and so there was this miscommunication where they heard the story about wine and he was actually telling a story about the wind. So, yes, language and accents, are uh, they make our job so, so interesting. <laughs> and and it is actually something that um, you know I, I'm very aware of when I am traveling to to different uh, festivals around the world. I think you do have to take that into consideration and and be quite clear and articulate when you are telling the story, taking into account the different cultural or linguistic um, differences. So yeah, yeah. Do you tell Scottish stories in Swahili when you're in Kenya? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And one of the, one of my favorite ones is the Tamlin story. Right. Um, but people also love hearing about the changeling. And there's some yeah. wonderful stories about the changeling. Um, but I there is no word for the changeling. So I, I just call it the changeling. Um, but for, just for, uh, for those that don't know. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Um, and it's it's interesting there as well because we don't really have fairies. They don't exist in East Africa in the same way that they do here. So when you are telling those kinds of stories, there is a lot of explaining that has to go on beforehand so that when you actually do tell the story, people are familiar with what you're talking about because it's quite easy to make the assumption, oh, everybody knows what a fairy is because we're yeah. so indoctrinated with, you know, Hollywood culture and we think of Tinkerbell and things like that. So, and then just fairies in, in the UK where everybody is very familiar with fairies, but sometimes I know that not everybody is. So, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's great, great fun. And for, for listeners who don't know what uh, changeling is, it's uh it's when the fairies take away your baby, usually when you leave it outside unattended and they put one of their own babies uh, in its place. So you'll come back, leave your lovely baby, go away, come back and you've got this little hideous, usually hideous, screaming, nightmarish thing that goes and makes your life a nightmare. And then you have to try and swap them back. I should do, I should do one of these stories in House of Legends. That's a good idea. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful stories. Yeah, but the, the ways mm. of getting your child back are, are never the most pleasant. No. No. So there is a dark side to those stories, but they're fantastic stories. Yeah. And do you find yourself drawn to dark, dark stories? What what draws you the most, if you can articulate I, it? I think everybody is drawn to dark stories because I think, you know, a lot of things that we see in the real world that people, that we are horrified by and people will describe them as, oh, this person is, it's, it's an inhuman act, whereas actually... It's a very human act to be so wicked and so uh, evil and so and, and carry out some atrocious, atrocious acts. And so I think that because people are aware that this does exist in our human nature, we are attracted to stories that explore that side of us. Um, and I think that they're really useful and really helpful stories because we do see how humans and can behave in, in such a way. And even when we address them through deities or, or through um, animals or through something else, we still recognize those characteristics and those behaviors as, as inherently human. So, yes, I'm, I'm very interested in, in dark stories. And um, I think that even people who don't like horror stories are still fascinated by the dark mm. yeah there is a there's a lot of interest i remember we, we did a night together a few years ago with david campbell a few years ago now at dark tales yes. and um there was that 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 sold out um and there was a lot of people still wanting tickets um, and it was there was a lot more interest than probably any other show that i've independently put on at the storytelling center in edinburgh i thought that was very interesting yeah and when is the next one i was just thinking the other day that we should do another one <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'd be up for that. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about some of the some of the big projects um, and the, that you've done or the things that really excite you just now or that have been uh, highlights for you. Um, so this year has been a really interesting year because there's been so much happening. Um, and I suppose the biggest thing that I did this year was I created the show Blood and Gold, um, which premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival um, in in the summer, in August, and and I guess for that one it was it's an hour long show, which I think for any solo performer it's quite long, um, and so the difficulty and the stress and the research that went into creating it was you know it was months of work, um, but yeah it's essentially it was looking at the legacy of colonialism and slavery, but using uh, myth legend fantasy as a as a way of exploring um, those issues and looking at it from a particularly Scottish 
perspective. So taking things that were, you know, inspired by my own personal story of how my mother ended up coming to to Scotland in the first place, um, where she was studying in the 60s and she met my father. So that was as a result of colonialism. Um, and then also just I was looking into folklore and it was it's it's looking at, you know, what colonialism and slavery has also done to um, people of color in the sense of how we see ourselves in the world. And oftentimes it can be quite a negative thing. And I wanted to explore that because I think if people are consistently told that their history and their heritage is uh, inferior, is um, is is primitive, then there is a tendency to also reach into that and believe it. And that right. believing um, makes you, it, it, it devalues yourself. And so that's something that we as a community also kind of need to challenge about ourselves. Um, and then the and then the other thing that um, I was looking at was one of the stories in the show was inspired by the racist murder of a young Somali student called Ahmed Sheikh in 1989. Um, and he he spoke to a white woman in the grass market and he was stabbed to death. And uh, nobody was ever actually punished for for his murder. Nobody ever went to jail for that. So it was looking at. So I guess that's the racism side. So looking at lots of different things, but trying to look at it from a way that's very different to how the subject has been looked at in the past. Because I think for me, the way I use stories is that you can present people with a lot of fact and and people know that slavery was wrong and people know that it was in the past and it was bad. And there's a lot of feelings about what slavery was and colonialism was, but it's certainly something that people can very easily separate themselves from. And I wanted to, to not approach it from that um, us versus them kind of approach. But I just thought, you know, if we're going to move forward and become a more progressive society, then you need to look at things differently um, and not do finger pointing or let it come across as finger pointing. So I thought if I use legend and myth and I'm creating these new narratives, then you can really look at things from a very different perspective and and you can have a show about colonialism and slavery where the audience is laughing at points and and then you kind of hit them with something else that then really makes people consider um things differently so i think it's taking people in the highs and the lows and and also i think stories are really powerful because they meet people where they're at so the story um you know it was focused on this this dying mother who um, puts stories in a box so that her daughter can learn about her heritage. And um, one of the women in the audience came to see me afterwards and she was in tears. And for her, the biggest thing about the show was that the, the mother died and her mother had died um, the year before. So for her, this was yeah. the most poignant thing about the show. And if that's what she took from it, then wonderful. You know, that's what she took from it. And if it affected her emotionally, then then wonderful. You know, I was happy about that. But I make people, I explain this is what has inspired the creation of these stories. But at the same time, people will take whatever it is that they want to take from it or need to take from it because we're all at different stages in our experience of life. So I don't like dictating how people should think or feel about certain things. And, you know, people come back to things at different points in their life. So my job is just to tell the story. Mm. Well, yeah. What other responses have you had? Do any come to mind? Um, from the show? Yeah. From that particular show? Um, yeah, people, I, I think people see 
have seen the shown in lots of different ways. So, for example, there is, um, in fact, maybe in the story I will tell, there is a, a, a part, a section where this young man is is climbing this rope, and the rope leads to the to the land in the sky. And the inspiration for that was looking at the issues of immigration, and um, because some of us in the world, like if you've got a British passport, you can travel freely anywhere in the world. But for people who come from certain countries, it's extremely difficult for them to um, to have the same experiences and opportunities of traveling. So for me, the land in the sky was looking at the obstacles to um, traveling. And it, this young man has to climb the ladder, uh, climb this rope, and the land in the sky does not accept people easily and so sends all of these obstacles. And for a lot of people who had been through the process of applying for visas and right. Finding all this money and, you know, applying for passports and dealing with the home office for them, their experience of that part of the story was very different to people who might otherwise just see it as a rope that leads to the land in the sky. So it was very it was multi-layered. And I think people would took lots of different things from it. People from um, certain countries saw it or certain cultural backgrounds took different things from it. Um, but I think the, we I had this central character called the Shadow Man who basically speaks to us in lots of different ways. Um, and I think that character is felt by people regardless of age, gender, cultural background, nationality, whatever. Um, it's, yeah, this character sort of speaks to people in lots of different ways and that's universal. And I think with stories, one of the powerful things about stories is that we always have that thing that regardless of of where we come from or who we are as people, we do have this thing that we recognize and that's kind of our core is part of who we are as people. So so yeah, it was it was interesting to create the show and to create it with a diverse audience in mind, which um which we did. We we got quite a diverse audience. So I was very happy about that. And uh yeah, yeah. I'll be telling stories all around the world now. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, because you, you told it at the Edinburgh Fringe, so that's um, the b- biggest arts festival in the world. To people yeah. coming from all over the world, you'll have had yeah very diverse audiences. Mm-hmm. And then you're and then you're going to be taking it to various other places. Yes, uh huh. Hoping to take it to Denmark in June um, to Svala for the for the festival there. I was there this year, no, last year, and hoping to take it. No, I was there this year. I've lost track now. Um, Yes, yeah, so take it back next year. Um, and then I shall be in Kenya in January. So it will be in Kenya. And I've been invited to the Ojai Storytelling Festival in California. So I shall right. be back in the States next year um, telling some of the stories there. So, yeah, it's it's getting heard. And I've applied to a few other festivals as well. So I'm waiting to hear whether it's been accepted. So, so yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, and I really hope I get to see it sometime. I was I in Thailand, so. of course, so I've seen it. <laughs> but maybe I'm going to get to hear something from it now. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Are you ready yeah. for it? <laughs> yeah, I think I am. So, so, uh, so, which story are you going to tell us? Um, I'm going to tell um, the third story in the box. So, in the box, the mother places these three stories, um, and this is the last story that comes out. So, it's the one that is inspired by um, the story of Ahmed Sheikh, which who is the the Somali student who was murdered in the grass market. So, yeah, this is this is the story.
There was once a wife and her husband, and they lived in a land where the sand shimmered like a sheen of gossamer. It was a beautiful place, and the sun rose every single day without fail. And from a distance, this place truly looked like it was heaven on earth. But there was a poison in this land, a poison that affected the rulers, and it was so vicious, so insidious, that the people did not realize they were affected until they were stripped of their humanity, their compassion, and they were encased in a cold, hard shell. But the wife and husband had a son. He was a beautiful child, born of starlight, and his eyes sparkled, reflecting the planets, the stars, the nebula, the infinite, the universe, the infinite. And they adored this boy, his eyes sparkling and the starlight bursting out of him. And they were a close family. So every evening they would gather around the fire and the father would tell story after story. And the wife would prepare the most delicious food imaginable. Now, for anybody listening, I want you to think of that meal that takes over your senses, that makes the saliva drip down your face, that makes your eyes water, those taste buds tingling. Now, that food is still nowhere near how delicious her meals were. Oh, they loved mealtime. And after some time, as the years had passed, the wife and the husband noticed how smart their son was. They noticed how quick and sharp he, be, he knew answers to everything. He grasped things quickly. And they began to wonder that perhaps this child could be the one to rid the land of poison. But in order to do that, the child needed skills. He needed experience. He needed things that he could not find in his own land but they knew exactly where they were to send him. A place that they had heard plenty of stories, the land in the sky. Oh, this place was rich in every opportunity, in skills and knowledge. It was a beautiful place, full of culture. Everywhere you turned, there were things of beauty. But this place was far. And so they saved up all the gold that they could, and when the child was of age, they gifted him this little bag full of gold and they sent him on his way. And the boy traveled. He crossed over all that shimmering sand. He swam over raging rivers. He climbed mountains high and then down the other side. Hebuni and then he saw me. 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 I'm going to go and learn, he sang to himself. He walked and walked for days, for weeks, until one day, out on the horizon, he saw a rope descending from the sky, and he knew that he had arrived. He headed for that rope. He gripped hold of it and he started to climb. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. He climbed higher and higher. But the land in the sky does not accept people too easily. And when they saw this young man approach, they sent wind and rain to knock him off the rope. 
But the young man, he clung on as tightly as he could. And when the wind and rain had finally eased, he continued to climb. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. Pakatang, pakatang, pakatang. But the land in the sky does not accept people too easily. And when they saw the young man approach, they took oil and poured it down that rope. He began to slip and slide and he gripped on with his teeth and his fingernails. And when the sun finally came out and dried up that oil, he continued to climb higher and higher. But they sent hornets that stung his body. His fingers swelled up. He cried out with pain, but he continued to climb. And just as he was nearing the entrance to the land in the sky, they set fire to that rope. And when he saw it beginning to burn, he reached into his pocket. He pulled out the pouch of gold. And when they saw it gleam and shine, their eyes widened. They reached down, they took that young man and they hauled him up and welcomed him in. And when he arrived, he saw what his parents had been talking about. Oh, it was beautiful. Everywhere was so rich, so wonderful, so full of culture and story. And he made friends, people from faraway lands like his own and people who had only ever known the land in the sky. They saw the starlight bubble from out of him and they loved him and he loved them in return. It was a beautiful day and the young man had just sent another message home on the wind and he began to feel that warm, wonderful feeling that we all do when the sun warms our skin. And he and his friends decided that they should go out and celebrate. What a beautiful day, they said to each other. Look at the sun, see how it warms our bodies and touches and kisses our skin. And so that night, they got dressed up in their finest clothes and they hit the town. They went out and ate in the finest restaurants, licking and sucking the juices off their, off their fingers. They drank their finest favorite tipples and then they decided to go dancing. They found the bands and the bands were playing their favorite tunes. The friends began to shake their shoulders and shimmy and twist, throwing their arms and legs, kicking about, oh, shaking and twerking and enjoying themselves to the full. When suddenly the young man with the sparkling eyes, he looked across and there was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. Her hair sparkled like the sun and her smile was as wide as the world. He went over to her and she saw the starlight bursting out of him and soon the two of them were deep in conversation. But as they spoke, there was somebody who was watching. A young man with a furrowed brow sat holding a glass containing a golden liquid. He frowned at the young couple and watched. He was so busy staring at them that he did not see the cracks in the ground beginning to open. He did not see the shadow man slip out of those cracks, slither across the cobblestones, up the table leg, over the table top, and bah, enter his drink. 
As he peered into his glass, the shadow man began to cast his spell. Look at them, all smiles and laughter. Look at them. You know what he's after. Violent, aggressive, no sense of shame. Always in trouble, always to blame. I tell you all the time, this beast, it wants to gorge, it wants to feast, it wants to take the good, the just, but you can stop him. Yes, you must. And the young man with the furrowed brow, emboldened by these words, he stepped forward. He did not see the starlight pouring out of the young man. In its place, he saw a towering beast, enormous thighs, thick chest, a head too big for its body, protruding eyes, a nose spread wide that flared at every opportunity, breathing smoke that reeked of every odious stench imanageable, a hideous beast that stomped and stamped aggressively, whose sole intention was to crush and destroy. Around him, the shadow man began to sharpen words and hand them over as weapons and the young man with the furrowed brow, he took these weapons, aimed them at the beast and flung them with all his might. And the young man with the sparkling eyes felt the weapons pierce his skin and he whipped around to face his enemy. And there it was, a loathsome creature with hair the color of fire, saliva drooling from its jaws, hungry for blood, fists clenched, it snarled, revealing fangs that glinted in the moonlight, and around them the shadow man danced gleefully. The creatures placed hands on each other, eyes blazing, the anger was thick, and they tried to fling each other to the ground, rage etched in each face, lips curled, teeth bared, punching, tearing, kicking, a fight for relevance. And as they rode the wave of hate, there was a sudden glint. The man with the sparkling eyes fell backwards. His hand clutched his side. He looked up to the sky. Mama, 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 he called. As he fell to the ground, he heard the moon and the stars calling his name. His chest stilled, his arms fell to his side and his eyes closed. His body slowly began to fragment into a thousand tiny shards of light and they began to float sparkling and twinkling gently towards the moon. And far away in a land where the sand shimmered like a sheen of gossamer, there was a woman preparing a meal fit for royalty. When a strange message arrived on the wind, and as she looked up into the sky, she saw a bright new star. It was sparkling and shining so bright that she saw reflected in it 
the stars and the planets, the universe, the infinite. It reminded her of her son, how she missed him, how she longed to hold him, how she would place her arms around him and they would tell each other stories of their adventures. How a long time ago, a long time ago, a long time ago. Thank you so much for sharing that, Mara. That was very powerful, and you told it beautifully. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I just, I suppose when I was putting it together, I just thought, you know, if you're telling a story about these two people who, you know, find themselves in a situation, then, you know, I, I felt that by sort of turning them into monsters, then it kind of reflects how sometimes we do see each other in the world. Um, so yeah, there was a that was one of my many thinkings of how to create that story. Yeah, I think both being monsters, that's yeah, that's a really good way of approaching it. How did it feel for you to create that, to work on that? Um, it was. I think because it was inspired by this young man's actual experience, um, I, you know, you you kind of, whenever I create a story, I think there's a little bit of care or a lot of care that goes into the creation of it. But I think because he had gone through this um, particular um, awful, you know, it's... He died essentially, and it would, and therefore you really need to make sure that the story um, does does justice to his experience. And so, um, I didn't want to just tell the story of this racist murder, but it was, you know, you're talking about his family and the close bond that he had with his family, um, and how sometimes what we envisage in life does not actually come to fruition. It's um, you know, sometimes we we have where we find ourselves in situations that with our control. Um, but I wanted to to celebrate the you know this the spirit, I suppose that somebody has. Um, and I had somebody in the audience who actually knew who knew this uh, Ahmed Sheikh when he was in Edinburgh. They were friends, and she didn't right. realize that that his story was going to be in the show. So um, at the beginning of the show, I'd introduced it, and I'd said, you know, I'd mentioned his name and talked about how this had been one of the, you know, one of the inspirations for the stories, and she felt that it honored him quite well. So to have that very personal feedback was was quite special. Um, yeah without without it it's a it's a terrible story but i didn't want to 
create a terrible story, if that makes sense. I wanted to tell a story that was um, explains, you know, how how this young man had his life ended in such a terrible way, um, but at the same time celebrate his life and um, and you know coming here in itself is a massive achievement for people. Mm. So and there is a big process, a long process that goes into the coming to um, a place like Scotland. So so yeah yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you again. It's, I'm very glad to have had that on House of Legends. Mm. Thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, so we're going to c- come towards the end now. Um, can you tell us a bit about where you're going to be? You already have to an extent or how listeners can find you if there's any mention of book. So what, what, what can they find of Mara in the world? Um, I am I'm putting together an audio book actually just now um, with some some stories about subjects that I am particularly passionate about. But again, I, I love um, telling these stories with uh, a sort of legend or, or myth lens, I suppose, um, because I think that they can um, they lend themselves to anybody, I suppose, because we love the impossible and how the impossible can almost be possible, how the possible is almost impossible. Um, And uh, I think when you have stories of deities and you have um, stories of people doing ordinary things that end up being extraordinary, I think we really respond very well to to those kinds of stories because it gives us a sense of hope, I suppose, that we Mm. can be better people because of it. So, yes, I'm... Yeah, I think maybe that's, I don't know, thinking about it, that maybe sounds heavy, but yeah, certainly lots of light and laughter in amongst these uh, these really quite powerful stories as well. So yeah, I'm working on that just now. Um, and so hopefully in January, towards the end of January, that will be ready. So yeah. Yeah. And um, we do have, you said, you say you're going to be in California. Yes. Yeah, there's quite a few House of Legends listeners in California, I believe. Uh, so what exactly can you can you say when where you're going to be there yeah that's the Ojai Storytelling Festival which is the last weekend of October so I think it's is it the 29th of October if the date if yeah so round about then so the last weekend of October 2020 I shall be in California so yeah if anybody is out there um, then it would be really great to great to see you and great to meet you um, and that that was actually that came about because I was um the international storyteller at the the Jonesboro Storytelling Festival, the National Storytelling Festival in the States in Tennessee earlier this year. So um, the stories, I was telling a mixture of Scottish stories and stories from across the African continent. So um, yeah, they they seem to have gone down well because uh, yeah, I've had these invitations as a as a result of that. So so yes, I I love the American audiences. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, if you yeah, if you do go and see Mara, do do go and say hello to her and say, "Oh, do you want House of Legends?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> and we'll, yeah. we'll uh, yeah we'll say a little hello and then send it to you, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, yeah. So, um, what was he going to say there? I can't remember. Okay, that's probably everything then. Uh, well, thank you very much for taking the time to be on House of Legends, Mara. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, it was just gonna. I was just gonna say that they can probably find you on Instagram, Facebook. Yes, Mara Storyteller is my handle, um, and MaraTheStoryteller.com is my website. So I shall update any sort of performances or any things. I'm going to. 
I'm supposed to start a blog. So fingers crossed that actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mara. Bye. All right. Great. Thank you.